We're going to uh, talk about, and probably I, this wasn't necessarily a uh, sermon series, but uh, God just began to, to talk to, to Clay. He kicked it off uh, a couple of weeks ago talking about where is God and evil suffering and hurricanes. And again, if you've not got a chance to listen to that, I want to encourage you to, to take a moment, go to the website, uh, open up uh, your podcast app, whatever you've got, and listen to that. It's important that we have a proper perspective when we're viewing natural disasters. I don't know about you, but when I first got saved, you know, again, I was a drug addict and alcoholic for about 10 years. And uh, when I came to the church, you know, the church just talked to me and told me how much Jesus loved me. He said, but, you know, Jesus loves you. And then after I got saved and started going to church, they told me that he's out to get me. I said, well, does he love me or is he out to get me? You know, what, what changed? And so the importance, the, the critical importance of, 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 of the point we're trying to make is you have to have a proper biblical worldview or you're going to end up in a place that that, that God never intended for you to be. God is not a bad God. God is a good God. Amen? And so it's important that we have a, a, a proper perspective of that. A lot of times people, you know, if you see, you know, the way that you see God determines how you represent God. You know, if you see God as a judge, you'll become his prosecuting attorney. You know, there's a lot of people that think that God is mad at people, that God hates people, that, that God is angry at people. God is not mad at you. God is mad about you. And so it's important that we have that perspective. And then last week we, we talked about how to remain calm in crisis. And we talked about how that Paul handled himself during the hurricane that he was uh, uh, involved in, though he did nothing to cause that uh, to happen. And, and he even tried to keep them and warn those that uh, were trying to set sail that it was not a good idea. Paul was able to remain calm during crisis. And that is important if you are not in a crisis, if you've never been in a crisis, unfortunately, if you live long enough, you will find yourself there. And when you find yourself in a crisis, it is critically important that you are able to uh, remain calm. Oftentimes when we go through a crisis, because we're not prepared to handle things properly, what happens is that we react negatively. You know, even in the worst of circumstances, there are things that can result in positive change in our own life. And so we talked about how that being in the middle of a storm, how that it affects us. It causes us to drift. It causes us to become desperate. It causes us to uh, go into despair and, 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 and have hopelessness. And then we talked about how that there's, there's three anchors that we have to hold on to when we're going through storms. And we talked about that, you know, the first anchor was the, the plan of God, that, that God has, has a plan. And, and we talked about the second anchor was the purpose of God. And then the third anchor was the promise of God. Having a sense of purpose and knowing that God is with you in the worst of circumstances is absolutely necessary for you to persevere and be able to make it through the difficult times and challenges that you deal with. And so today, what I want to talk about is hope after the hurricane. Hope after the hurricane. Acts chapter 28, we're going to start reading at verse 1. If you're there, say amen. The Bible says, Now when they escaped, they then found out that there was an island called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because the rain that was falling and because it was cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out and latched upon his hand. So when the natives saw that the creature was hanging from his hand, they said one to another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. Verse 5. But he shook it off, and it fell into the fire, and it suffered him no harm. 
However, they were expecting him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked at him for a long time and saw no harm come upon him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. So I want you to see you know, how people's opinion and, and the way people view you changes so quickly. You know, the first thing that happened was when he got bit by the snake, the first opinion that people had about him was, this man's a murderer. No doubt he's getting what he deserves. I know a lot of Christians that want to give people what they think people deserve, but they don't want God to give them what they deserve. You know what I'm saying? And the Bible says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If that's true, then the opposite of that is true. You know, cursed are the unmerciful, for they shall not obtain mercy. And I kind of figure that when I stand before God, I'm going to need all the mercy that I can get when I stand before him. Amen? So they said, this man was a murderer. Then he didn't swell up. He didn't fall down dead. They said, well, no, he's a god. But the truth is, both opinions of Paul were wrong. Paul was just a man. It's important for you to understand that. Let's go on down to verse 7. Now, in the region where there was an estate of the leading citizen in the island whose name Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father Publius lay sick of fever and dysentery. Paul went into him, prayed, and he laid hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as was necessary. Last verse, verse 11. After three months, we sailed again. After three months, after they had experienced a catastrophic failure, their boat had been split in two, it had disintegrated, they had to swim to the bank. Some of them had to float on planks that had fallen off of the ship. But the Bible says all of them had made it there safely. Now here's a true story. What we see here in Acts 28, we see that Paul was able to take a shipwreck and turn it into a healing revival. I mean, he was able to, to take the worst of circumstances. And the Bible says Paul had been here before. He had suffered shipwreck three times. And so while he's there, instead of feeling sorry for himself, instead of, instead of wallowing in self-pity, the apostle Paul chooses to have a positive attitude. Not, not just Paul having a positive attitude, he becomes proactive. He creates an environment from the worst of circumstances where the, where the atmosphere was changed and God was able to use that circumstance in order to bring healing to many, many people. You know, I'll never forget one of the churches that, that we helped to plant in, in Gulu in northern Uganda. This is how this church was actually started. This church was not intended to be there, but one of our church planters were passing through. There's no mosque there. There's no churches there. These people had never heard the name of Jesus there ever, ever before. To get to this church, you know, typically what you would have to do is you would have to get in your vehicle and drive till you run off of road. And then when you run out of road, you put your vehicle on a ferry boat and you would float across the Nile River. Once you float across the Nile River, you, get, you come to the equivalent of an of a ATV trail. And once you get through the ATV trail, you come to a footpath. And so when you get to this place, let me, just trust me when I say this, it's a long way there. They'd never seen a white man before. They had never heard the gospel. But they heard that this, this uh, man who preaches 
about Jesus, uh, prays for people, and they invited him to come and pray for this young man who was 20 years old, and he was lying, he was, he was, he was very sick, he was on the verge of dying. And so the church planner goes there, and listen, I've got the, the testimony on video. You know, the church planner goes there, he begins to pray for this sick young man, he's in his early 20s, and as he prays for him, a demon manifests in this man. And the church planner tries to uh, cast the demon out of the young boy. And so the demon speaks and says, we're not coming out of here because we have witchcraft buried on the property. So the, the church planner goes and he commands the demon to go dig up the witchcraft and bring it back to him. So this young man crawls on his hands and knees just like an animal digs up the witchcraft, brings the witchcraft to the church planter. The church planter then takes it, puts it in a fire, burns it, casts the demon out of the boy, and immediately this young man was completely healed. Now, that, that's not just a story that we hear about in Acts 28. This is a story of what God is doing today. Anything God has done in the past, he can do here, or he can do today. Anything God has done for anybody else, God can do for you. And anything that he's done in the past, he can do now. And so now this, this something miraculous happens. And, and the tragic thing that, uh, that was uh, inevitable to happen, all of a sudden God intervenes and turns not only the island of Malta into a healing revival. What we saw there in, in Gulu is that the young man that had the demon cast out of him and was instantly healed, his sister was extremely sick. She was on the verge of death. Demon was cast out of her. She was instantly healed. And then when we went to this church, we met the church was actually under a tree. They're singing songs. They don't know Christian music. They've never heard about you know, church before. But their church is under the tree. And as they start to sing, they start coming out of the woods, the jungle. And it's like, it's amazing. And I'm preaching the gospel to these folks. Monkeys are swinging in the tree trees, and I'm saying, this is the greatest day of my Christian life. And the reason I'm saying that is, is that I want to encourage you, it doesn't matter what you've been through, and it doesn't matter where you are right now, it doesn't matter what kind of challenges you are facing, it doesn't matter how difficult the situation you find yourself in is, God is able to turn things around. Hope after a hurricane. Now, the events that we experience in life, the ones that tend to make the greatest impact are the ones that take us by surprise. The, the, the events that we didn't see coming, the things that we weren't prepared for. Everybody in here probably has, and if you've not, you soon will. You're going to experience a moment a tragedy, uh, a situation where, where you feel like everything that is lost. And, and, and then those things, if we do not process them correctly, will end up making a negative impact or a bad situation worse. Now, the Bible doesn't say that, you know, everything's going to be perfect. There's no such thing as a problem-free life. The Bible makes perfectly clear, if you live long enough on this earth, that all of us at some point will experience pain, all of us at some point will experience suffering, and all of us at some point will experience loss. Now, if we live on this earth, the longer we live, the greater the opportunity is for us to experience shipwreck, for us to experience uh, tragedy, for us to experience uh, everything falling apart. But, but isn't that what the gospel is? Isn't that what the Bible teaches us? You know, the Bible makes perfectly clear we're all going to go through stuff. The Bible says in Job chapter 14, verse 1, it says, A man that's born of woman is few days and full of trouble. The apostle Paul wrote it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, We are troubled on every side, yet not in distress. Jesus himself said in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, in this world you will have 
trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And we talked last week how that the man that built his house on the sand and the man that built his house on the rock, just because one was prepared and the other wasn't, doesn't make you immune to the storm. So it doesn't matter who you are or how good things are going right now at this moment, you're going to face some things that's going to cause you to challenge. It's going to challenge you. It's going to cause you to question uh, what you believe about God, what you believe about the Bible, what you believe about the world, what you believe about theology, all is, is going to happen. And so the Apostle Paul, he shows us something here of how to respond when we suffer shipwreck. Now, I, I don't claim to be uh, the smartest man in the world, you know, but one of the lessons that I've learned, one of the greatest lessons that I've learned about following Jesus over the almost 20 years I've been following him is God, I encourage you to write this down, God oftentimes gives us what we need in packages we don't like. Oftentimes, God will give us what we need in packages we don't like. But if he does give us something, or if we do go through a season where we're, we're struggling or we're suffering or, or we're hurting, another thing that I've learned is this, is that God can use your trouble to transform your life. He can use your struggle and turn it into your strength. He can use your pain and bring and reveal you to, to your purpose. He can bring the challenge and ultimately develop your character. God loves to take crucifixions and turn them into resurrections. So, again, no matter how bad the thing is, no matter how uh, uh, much you're struggling with what you're going through, God is able to turn it around. But when you're going through difficulty, when you're hurting, when you don't understand, when, when, you don't, when God doesn't make sense, when you're experiencing pain, this is a critically important thing. Pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. God doesn't cause us pain. He doesn't punish us with pain. Sometimes pain happens as a result of bad decisions. Sometimes pain happens because the, you know, the devil has attacked us. But God never uses sickness or disease to teach us a lesson. Because if he did, why would you want to be healed for Hey, Some people believe that, that God wants to strike them down with sickness so that they can learn a lesson. And I ask them, I said, well... If God's trying to teach a lesson through this sickness, what are you trying to get well for? Naughty, naughty, naughty. God trying to teach you a lesson. Pause for an amen. It didn't come. But God can use pain. God can use sickness. God is a redeemer. And God's answering to, answer to a suffering world is a suffering Savior. The wounds on his hands, the scars on his body are the proof of his love. So, let me give you a couple things here about how to respond during a shipwreck. Here's the first thing. If you suffer shipwreck, the first thing you need to do is you need to build a fire. You need to build a fire. Now, Acts chapter 28, verse 2 says, Paul gathered a bundle of sticks. It cannot be overemphasized enough how important it is to have a positive attitude when you're going through a negative experience. You know, the great theologian Alfalfa from the Little Rascals. You know, how many know Alfalfa? He had bad theology. You know, Alfalfa said one time, just when I think that things couldn't get any worse, God opens up the sky and says, I hate you, Alfalfa. That's bad theology, you know? You know, God doesn't hate us. He, he, he loves us. But, you know, it's important that we have a positive attitude when we're going through negative experiences, Paul, listen to this. He had survived the storm. He remained calmed in crisis. And now he's trying to provide hope after the hurricane. What was his response to the shipwreck? He gathered a bundle of sticks. 
That doesn't seem like it's a big deal. But it is a big deal. Why? Because everybody was wet and everybody was cold. In other words, he said, you know what? I see people in need. I'm struggling myself. I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. I'm going to do something proactive, and I'm going to spend some time trying to encourage other people. Why? Because this is just a season. This is not the final story. This is not the end of this. God has a plan. Remember, he said, I've got to go to Caesar. He said, an angel stood by me this night and said, you know what? It's going to suffer shipwreck, but you will go stand before Caesar in Rome. So he's gathering a bundle of sticks And he's being proactive. He's not feeling sorry for himself. He didn't expect to suffer shipwreck, but he didn't sit around feeling sorry for himself as well. Hey, some people, listen. You don't want to ask them how they're doing. And sometimes telling people, you know, just be yourself is the worst advice you can give them. Hey, some folks, they just, they have bad attitudes. The glass is always hefty. And what I don't understand is why is people, why are people so quick to believe a negative report before they're quick to believe a positive report? Why is it that gossip travels? Why is it that, that, uh, that uh, negativity sells? Why is it that people have that kind of attitude? You know, it, it reminds me of the story of the man who uh, wanted to become a monk. So he goes to the monastery... And he says to the, the, the head monk, he says, you know what, I, I, want to be a, I want to be a monk. And so the, the head monk says to him, he said, okay, now these are the terms. He said, you have to take a vow of silence. And we will allow you to speak two words every three years, okay? And so the first three years go by, and the head monk comes to the man, and he says, what are your two words? He said, Bed hard. And so, okay, he goes, okay. Another three years go by. The head monk comes to him. He says, well, what are your two words? He said, food cold. And so he said, all right. And he comes to him the next three years. And he said, what are your two, two words? He said, I quit. And the monk looks at him and says, you know what? This doesn't despise me. You've been complaining ever since you've been here. There are a lot of people saved people that have that same kind of attitude. They don't have anything good to say, not an encouraging word. They believe that, you know what, they can find a problem with every solution and believe that it is a gift from God. God forbid that we become professional fault finders. God is not looking for people who have mastered the skill of complaining so that he can use them to make a difference in somebody's life. Listen, there's one thing that is more influential and makes a greater impact than a good attitude, and that's a bad one. So Paul, you know what? He could have played the victim here. He could have looked at these people and said, I told you, if you listened to me, I was just looking out for my best interest and for your best interest. I told you what God said. Everything that I've said to you has happened, and you still don't want to listen to me. You guys are getting what you deserve. That that was not his attitude. His attitude was people were wet and people were cold, so he's going to gather a bundle of sticks. Why? Because he wants them to become warm and dry. That's important when you have suffered shipwreck. It's important. He has this positive outlook. Listen to this. What's the difference between an obstacle and an opportunity? Attitude. The difference between an obstacle and opportunity is attitude. Why? Because with every obstacle, there is an opportunity. And with every opportunity, there are obstacles that you have to deal with. The difference between whether they help you become better or whether they help you to become bitter is your attitude. So let me ask you a question. Through the things that you've experienced this far in life... Have the adversity that you went through, experienced, made you bitter or has it made you better? The difference between bitter and better is the letter I. We determine the outcome. The choice is ours. Paul built a fire. And even though this wasn't Paul's fault, 
that he was going through this, he didn't become angry or bitter or resentful. The Bible says this. It says, let us lay off every weight in sin. Some of you, the only thing that is holding you back is the bitterness and the resentment and the anger and the discouragement that you're holding on to. And God says, listen, if you want to sail again, if you want to make it through this shipwreck, you've got to let some stuff go. Here's the second thing. First thing you got to do is build a fire. Second thing you got to do, you got to watch out for snakes. You got to watch out for snakes. Verse 6 says, they were expecting him, or a viper came out and fastened on his hand. You know, again, just when you think things couldn't get worse for Paul, he gets snake bit. Now, this is important for you to understand. Even though Paul is doing the best that he can, even though he's trying to make things better for himself and everyone, and even though he has a positive attitude, he's doing all of the right things, he was trying to build a fire so everybody could get warm, everybody could get dry, and even though that you have made it through the storm, even though you've suffered shipwreck, the devil will always look for another opportunity to attack you even when you're trying to do what's good. You know, when... when the devil came to tempt Jesus, and he was fasting and, and, and praying for 40 days. And we know the story, and you know, he tempted Jesus three times. If you read the end of that story, the scripture says, And the devil left him for a more opportune time. Well, what does that mean? That means that the, dev the devil studies you. The devil is like a good basketball coach. You know, a good basketball coach will send out his coaching staff to go and watch the next team that they're getting ready to play. And when they go watch and, and they go uh, observe the, the team they're getting ready to play, they take notebooks with them. And they start scouting the other team. And they start writing down things on this note. On this notepad. What do they write down on this notepad? They write down all of the weaknesses that this team that they're getting ready to face is, is, uh, is, is, has got. And then they go back. They have a, a coaching staff meeting. And at this staff meeting, they begin to develop a plan to exploit the weaknesses in the other team. That is exactly the way that the devil works. He studies you. He knows that you're more vulnerable on Monday morning because you're tired and you're cranky and you got a bad attitude and like, oh my God, it's Monday. Oh, you know, I only struggle with you know the next six days after Sunday, and you know, I just, you know, ah, you know, and so he knows when you are most vulnerable. And so even when you're trying to move forward in your life, even when you're doing everything you know to do to the best of your ability, and even when you're walking around with a smile on your face, the devil is still looking for a place of attack. So you got to build a fire, and you got to watch out for snakes. Here's the third thing. Now, if you're going to survive a shipwreck, and sail again, you can't swell up. You, you cannot swell up. And so verse 6 says, they were expecting him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. Now listen, if the, and this is just like church folk, folk, folk. Islanders that were living on the island of Malta would just kind of come together and work with Paul and bundling sticks to build a fire, then you know what? They wouldn't have time to criticize him. Most people that complain, most people that criticize, most people that have a negative attitude aren't doing anything in the first place, so they've got all the time in the world to be critical. So if these guys would have said, you know what? Paul's trying to do something to help everybody. Let's work together with him. And so, you know, here he's trying to make uh, uh, the best out of a bad situation. And, you know, people are sitting around analyzing and trying to say, well, I mean, you know, whose fault is this? Did, you know, this man, you know, he, he's, he, there's something different about him. I, I don't know. But here's my point. 
There's a difference between being hurt and being wounded. When you get hurt, just like Paul did, you can shake it off. But when you've been wounded, you have to be healed from that. I wonder how many of you who are, are just hurt, but you can't find it within yourself to just shake it off. And then I wonder how many of you think that you're all right, but in reality, you're walking around with an open wound with a scab over it. You know, I'm, have you ever had, I used to do this when I was in high school, it was mean, because we, we played baseball, and, you know, uh, during baseball season, we'd always slide, you know, and, you know, we would, we would get like these, you know, or we'd cut our legs up, we'd get like, we called them uh, strawberries back here, you know, because it's raw, because you slid, and you're like, why did I do that? You know, every time, you know, it starts getting better, and every time you slide, you just rip that scab back open, and, you know, if somebody else's scab wasn't ripped open, I'd just walk up to them, and I'd go... With my fingernail. I told you I was mean. I'm telling you, I, I, I was mean. Why did it, it was, you know, I, I was mean. Some people in the church are not healing agents, they're hurting agents. And most of the time that happens is listen, hurting people hurt people and are easily hurt by people. I mean, they get easily offended. They get hurt over misunderstanding. Or, 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 or they allow uh, uh, the, the self-pity that they walked in to cast a negative light upon something that God will turn around if they would allow him and work it to their good. You can't swell up. It's important that you don't swell up. They were expecting him to swell up and they were expecting him to die. Now, here's the fourth thing. The fourth thing is this. Don't listen to public opinion. Don't listen. You know, I'll never forget. Brother Yerton said to me one time, he said, Donald, he said, the reason that most people don't do what God has called them to do is that they're too concerned about what other people think about them. And he said to me, he said, Donald, if you knew just how little people actually did think about you, you'd never worry about that ever again. There's a lot of people that they are, you know, they're, 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 they're people pleasers or they're afraid of what other people, the Bible says the fear of man leads to a snare. In other words, if you spend all your time worried about what other people think about you, you're going to stay right where you are, and things aren't going to, they're not going to get better for you. They're going to get worse. And so, you know, people tend to change their mind. People are fickle. They're always changing their mind. Now, look what it says here. It says, so when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, this man is a murderer. No doubt about it. Just, he's getting what he deserves. I mean, it's tragic when believers or Christians have that same kind of attitude. You know, we're, you know, we're, we're, you know people, I mean, it's, it's, it's tragic. Because listen, Christians are the only ones that I know that shoot their own wounded. You ever been church hurt before? It's devastating, isn't it? It's hard to get over. It's the worst experience that you can have. There's so many people that have experienced church hurt that it has made them bitter. They've washed their hands and said, you know what, I'm never coming back again because, you know what, I went to church for help and all I got was more hurt. And so they said, you know what, this man's a murderer. He's getting what he deserves. But then as they sit there and judged him a little bit more, he noticed he didn't swell up. They were expecting him to die. And they said, you know what? Not, he can't be a murderer. He's a god. I mean, this, I mean in, in, in one experience, he went from being a murderer to a god. But the truth was, he was neither. Paul was just a man who, know, who knew who he was in God. People that don't have a sense of identity struggle to identify with any kind of, of, of self-worth or value. And so, you know what? Because they feel bad, they want everybody else to feel bad as well. 
You understand what I'm saying? Because they feel like that, that they, they, they're not worth anything. They want to make sure that somebody else feels as bad as they do. You know the, 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 the old cliche that says misery likes what? That's true, isn't it? It's true. And so, you know, they changed their mind, the Bible said. They thought he was uh, a murderer, then they thought that he was a god. And, and the truth was, he was just a man who knew God and knew who he was in God. Paul went on to write here in Galatians 1.10. He says, Do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Now, here's the, here's the point, and then go ahead and come to music. The, the point I'm, I'm wanting to make concerning you allowing what you think other people think about you to keep you from moving forward is if you don't stop worrying about that and let go of your past, you will never be able to create a new future. Some of you right now, you, you, you've prayed and you've cried and you've called on God for the turmoil and the difficulty and the pain and the suffering. You're wanting it to end. But the problem is you won't let go of the past. If you never or if you fail to let go of your past... You will never experience a new future. And when you suffer shipwreck, you have to create a new future or give up altogether. Some of you, you've given up on a future. You know, you, you don't even want to receive any kind of encouragement. You know, you don't want to believe any kind of report. You've become cynical. You've become critical. You've become negative. You've, you've allowed your pain to, to become a, a filter that you filter all of life's experiences few, uh, through, and you've let the serpent's poison cause you to swell up. And God's saying, let it go. The Apostle Paul, the same man in the story, he said this, this one thing I do, forgetting what's behind me and reaching forward, to that which is ahead. Listen, God is the God of happy endings. He says, you know what? Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. He says, I know the plans I have for you. They're good and not evil to give you a hope and a future. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises except against you shall be condemned. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. He said, when the enemy comes against you one way, he will have to flee seven ways. Listen, God is on your side. But tired eyes, and some of you are weary from what you've been through. And listen, let me tell you something, I'm one of them. I'm honestly considering this. I'm considering this being the last time that I preach for the next two months. I'm thankful. And I told you this before. I'm thankful that I'm no longer in pain. But I am depleted. And when you're depleted, you're extremely vulnerable to discouragement. And, and when you're vulnerable to discouragement... And, and, and you're depleted. You don't have a, a place of, of strength where you're able to draw from. Sometimes a step back is a step forward. You understand what I'm saying? I've never taken this much time off since I've been in ministry. But I know myself well enough that something's not right. Those of you that know me know that I am the ultimate optimist. I'm going to encourage, I'm going to uh, speak life, I'm going to speak hope. I mean, I'm not saying that, that, that we don't have conversations where, you know, we're, we're talking and discussing serious things, but when you're tired and you're weary and you're depleted, 
you know, the best thing that you can do is take a step back. Last week I said sometimes your setback is what leads you to your comeback. You know, the Lord knows I preached enough gospel to save China. And we got better preachers here than me, so you're getting double blessed. But you can't swell up. You don't listen to public opinion. And the last thing's this. Start sailing again. I again, I love this story because it's just real. I mean, if you read the Bible, and not just read the Bible, but read the Bible, you can find a similar situation that you're going through. Maybe your hurricane is your marriage or your relationship with your children or financial or with at work or, or, or whatever it may be, but you've been dealing with it over and over and over and over. And listen, how do you respond? How do you stay calm? How do you keep from freaking out? How do you keep from reacting negatively? How do you stay calm? Well, that's what we've been talking about. But, but here's the ultimate thing. Paul knew this wasn't the end of his story. Some of you think that it's never going to get better for you. Some of you think that, you know what? It's, God's never going to turn it around. You're tired of just hearing things. You've become negative. You've become bitter. You've allowed the, 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 the serpent's venom to begin to affect you emotionally and mentally and, and physically and relationally and in all of your dealings with life and people. And, and, and you need God to heal you. Paul said, after the three months, we sailed again. Now... A shipwreck's not a small thing. He lost everything but his life. The only thing he had left was the clothes he had on his back. He lost everything. But if you're going to move forward, you can't focus on what you've lost. You've got to focus on what you have left. And the devil will do everything that he can to keep you focused on the wrong thing. Shipwreck is not a small event. You have to take time to recover before you start out on a new voyage. But why camp by a broken ship when you can hoist a new sail? The thing that I love about Paul, stand with me, is that Again, he is in the same condition everybody else is in. But people who have a positive attitude, who are looking through the eyes of God, not the eyes of man, who have a positive attitude, they're always looking for an encouraging sign, and they're always looking to encourage someone else. Now look what Paul's looking at right now. Verse 14. They sailed, verse 14, and we, were, and we found the brethren. Go to the next slide. This is the last one. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came out to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Paul was looking for an encouraging sign, and he found the encouraging sign. How? In the form of other brothers and sisters that were looking for him to come. My question is, what do people think about you when they see you coming? What, what, do they see you coming as an encouragement? Or do they see you coming as a discouragement? Those of you that know me know, I mean, I hate, I absolutely hate negativity. I can't stand it. But I tell my children this whenever they find themselves going through some difficult times. I said, it takes zero talent. It takes zero gifting. It takes zero ability 
to have a positive attitude and be an encouragement to somebody else. It, you don't have to be gifted. You don't have to be talented. You don't have to have this unique ability. In other words, anybody can do it. Anybody can be an encouragement. Anybody can have a good attitude. And listen, church people should have the best attitude. They should be the most encouraging. Imagine if our church became an encouraging church in our community. You couldn't beat people out of here with a stick. I tell Rachel, I said, you know what? I said, I can fight hell all day long as long as I can come home to a little heaven. And that's what God wants to do. It doesn't make you immune to the storm. It doesn't make you immune to attack. It doesn't make you immune to pain, to suffering, to any of those things. It doesn't make you immune to it, but it does make you prepared. And life... It's 10% of what you go through and 90% of how you go through it. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be difficulty. But if you're going to be people of hope, if this place is going to be city of hope, then we're going to have to learn how to encourage we're going to have to learn how to have a positive attitude. In other words, you, you have to learn how to be hope dealers. We've got plenty of dope dealers. We need hope dealers. One man said, he who has hope has authority. He who has hope has authority. It's been said that a man can live 40 days without water, four days without food, four minutes without air, but only four seconds without hope. And when I think about the hopelessness that is in our world, Clay was talking about it a little bit earlier, the, the thing that comes to my mind is the story that I heard in South Africa about this particular tribe that lived up in the mountains. Listen to this. In Africa, the HIV-AIDS epidemic is, is beyond out of control. It's so bad that they're running out of grave space to bury all the dead. So they're having to bury the dead on top of each other. And they say that if something doesn't change by the year 2025, 75% of the whole entire continent will be HIV-AIDS positive. But in South Africa, they made a tragic mistake. They begin to give those infected with HIV-AIDS uh, HIV a financial supplement to help them with their medication, with some of the living expenses. And so what happened was, once these people that lived up in the mountains heard that they, there's an entitlement program where they can go and get uh, uh, financial assistance, all it was was $30 a month. When, when, when they heard that, these young girls would go and get themselves infected with the HIV AIDS virus. Why? Because they're hopeless. They have no hope things will get better. They have no hope that things will turn around. And I think about myself, I don't know how you look at your life, but you know what? I didn't get to choose where I was born. I was blessed. It could have been very, I've got, I've got three daughters. You know what? We could have been born there. Could you imagine being born and living in that kind of environment? Somebody asked me, Donald, how much is the value of a soul? Well, in South Africa, a dollar a day. That... It's the kind of hopelessness that rests outside the walls of this church. And Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Salt of the earth. He's caused you. He's called you to give hope. 
But do you have it? Let's pray. Father, I believe with all of my heart that you've spoken to us this morning. And to the best of my ability, I've shared. I've tried to communicate. I've tried to... Say what you want said. But yet I know and I sense in my spirit there's those that are here that are in a state of hopelessness. They've allowed the pain they've been through. They've allowed the serpent's venom to infect them with the poison of bitterness. And the, they're angry and, and they're frustrated and they're resentful. And they're negative and they're critical and, and they've been this way for a while and they've given up hope that anything can change. But Lord, you've come today to give them hope. To give them hope to turn things around. And there are those that are here, Lord, that their life is represented by this shipwreck. And now they're dealing with the aftermath of a storm that they don't know if they'll be able to make it through. But you've come, Lord today to let them know it's going to be alright if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and you're thinking you know what I can't live good enough I can't be good enough I can't live that life I can't be a Christian but you're here and, and you know what you've turned yourself off to, 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 to hearing anything that, that God can do for you and today God's saying yes if you'll respond now. God responds quickly to people who respond quickly. If you're lost and you need to be saved, you need to give your life to Jesus this morning, we're going to give you an opportunity in a second. How many of you would say, you know what, I'm in the middle of the worst storm of my life. I don't know if I'm going to sink. I don't know if this is going to take me out. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me? I'm going through it right now. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what, I have suffered shipwreck. I have tried to be positive, but I have been church hurt or I've been bit and I've got the venom of bitterness and anger in me right now. And God's saying, you know what? If you if you bring if you bring you bring it, if you'll drop it. If you'll forget about it. If you leave it behind, I'll move you forward. If you're dealing with any of those things, I want you to come and stand up here right now. Come up here and stand right now. We want to pray for you. You know God's speaking to you. Just come again. Don't worry about what people think of you. People don't think, and I'll be obsessed with you all the time. They may think about you for 30 seconds, and then they're thinking about, you know what? I'm going to eat some pizza after service. But yet you're going to go back home depressed. You're going to go back home discouraged. You're going to go back home frustrated. God's speaking to you. I want you to come. If it's there, Respond. He's come today to help you deal with the aftermath and to give you a new beginning. Somebody else. Somebody else. Yes, yes. Just pray, church. Father, we thank you. God, today's a new day. Today's a defining moment. Today, you're going to turn things around for people who are responding to you. And so, God, today... Call those you're speaking to. 